the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So they made a calf in those days and they offered a sacrifice to the idol and they were rejoicing at the work of their hands. And that's the path that it takes. When you turn your attention away from God, you'll always be tempted to put something or someone in his place. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Have your copy of God's Word, Acts chapter 7, is where we are today. We're talking about the life of a man named Stephen. I want to ask you a question. How would today be different if you knew today were your last? How would you live these next 24 hours if you knew they were the last hours that you would live? Now, scripturally, for those of you that are Christ followers, there's this understanding we should always live as if we could die at any moment. Luke 9, 23 says, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his what? Cross daily and follow me. 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul says to the church at Corinth, I die every day. Just as surely as I boast that Jesus is our Lord. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Christ life really is, is to be a life of denial, a life really of death to self. But I fear for most of us, We don't think about it that way most often. In the 1950s at Alka, missionary Jim Elliott wrote in his journal, I seek not a long life, but a full one, like you, Lord Jesus. Two years later, he wrote these words, I must not think it strange if God takes in youth those whom I would have kept on earth till they were older. God is peopling eternity. And I must not restrict him to old men and women. In other words, he's saying, yeah, I would wish that God would let everybody live till they were old, but that doesn't make sense when I think about it because God is populating or peopling eternity. And if he's going to people eternity, he probably is going to do it with people other than those who are just old. And so like Stephen, just a short time after writing those words, Jim Elliott and his four comrades They were called on January 8th, 1956, to people eternity. They were slain by the people they were trying to reach in Ecuador. 
Some of you have heard of Fox's Book of Martyrs. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, we see the stories of many Christ followers who have given their all for their faith. And, and maybe I need to remind you that more Christ followers have given their life for their faith in the last 100 years than in all of the centuries preceding the last 100 years. And in an introduction to Fox's Book of Martyrs, these questions are asked. Maybe you would ask these today. Would you suffer and die for Christ? Would you endure cruel tortures that take your mind and body to the very brink of death and beyond? Would you persevere? Would you hold fast to the profession of your faith without wavering? Would you stand boldly and without shame confess Christ as Lord to your own or your family's peril? That's what happened in the life of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Maybe you've seen a, a movie of where a prisoner had been captured and he's forced by the terrorists to record on video his last words. That's what we're going to get in Acts chapter 7. Whether he realized it or not, these are the last words of Stephen. But before we get there, let me... as as quick as a bullet, remind you of how we got there. Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended into heaven. Jesus went up. The Holy Spirit came down. As the Holy Spirit came down, the apostles went out. As the apostles went out, lost people came in, and the church was formed. 3,000 in one day. And then after that, daily numbers were added to the church. By the time we get to Acts chapter 5, the addition stopped and the multiplication began. And the church multiplied. But we see a spiritual principle. When God begins to work, Satan begins to work overtime. We understand as Christ followers that we are victors. Because Jesus Christ has already run, won the victory. We've read the back of the book and we win. But... Even though Satan is a defeated foe, he is a cruel enemy. He seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And when God begins to work in your life, or when God begins to work in his church, the enemy wakes up and does everything within his power, his limited power, to stop that. And that's what began to happen in the book of Acts. And it happened in individual lives, and it happened in the church. And that's what's happening again in Acts chapter 7 in the life of a man named Stephen. I had the privilege this week to gather with a group of pastors, a small group, and meet with one of my heroes, Pastor Jim Cimbala, who leads the Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn, New York. And we were talking about that really real ministry that a pastor is to have found in Acts 6-4, which is prayer and the ministry of the word. And in talking about that, someone brought up the reality of the brevity of the messages in Acts. And it was convicting to most of us pastors, because if you read even the longer messages in the book of Acts, you could read through them in about seven minutes. <laughs> All they do is tell the story of Jesus, and then there's an opportunity to respond. This message today is a little different. It's the message that Stephen gives, his last will and testament, if you will. It's the longest message in the book of Acts, and it serves as a historical message because he talks about the patriarchs of the Jewish faith. He talks about Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and David and Solomon, 
And his history is accurate, but his history is not the point of the message. He desires not just to recite familiar facts. He desires to refute the false charges that are being waved toward him. He's trying to help those who accuse him understand that the sins of the Jewish nation, the people who have rejected Christ as the Messiah, are worse than the sins that they have accused him of committing. And he's more concerned with correcting their falsehoods than he is with protecting his future. And so it may be Stephen that inspired these words from the Puritan leader, Richard Baxter. Listen to this. I preach as a dying man to dying men and women as if never to preach again. Oh, that we would live our lives that way. We'd wake up each morning and say, God, I live today as if I'm a dying man, living before dying men and women, and I want to live as if I live not another day. That's how Stephen preached in this message. I want you to see how Acts chapter 7 begins, but before I show you that, I want to tell you what we're going to do. Since this is a long message from Stephen, we're not going to read this entire chapter. I want you to see some of the historical highlights and the nuggets of spiritual gold that God gives us in this passage. And then as we come to the conclusion of chapter 7, which also, by the way, is the conclusion of Stephen's life, I want you to see three practical applications to your life. So I would encourage you to take a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, Crayola, grab a piece of paper or grab that cell phone or something that you can jot down these nuggets of truth and follow along in God's word. Beginning in verse 1, it says, and the high priest said, and say the last part of this together, are these things so? So what's happened is Stephen has lived testifying to the veracity, the truth of Jesus Christ. And so he's being asked, do you really believe this? Is this so? Is is this accurate or are you just saying these things? I want you to understand something for you and me today. Your life is a constant reply to those asking this question in your little corner of the world. Are these things true? Most of us who gather in this room are doing so because we have some level of profession of faith in Christ. But the reality is how we live out our daily life is telling those around us whether or not we really believe this is true Or this is just a game we're playing. Or this is just a religious experience for us. And so that's why Stephen begins his history lesson. He wants them to see from something they would understand, their Jewish heritage. He wants them to see, based on their heritage, that what he is saying is true. And here are some highlights. He begins with Abraham. Now we know the story of Abraham. Abraham received this promise of God that God would greatly bless him. But Abraham's journey begins in an interesting way. And it's described in verse three. In chapter seven, verse three, it says, and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And so as we're introduced to one of the fathers of our faith, we're introduced to this principle of faith, that if we're going to follow God, sometimes we're going to follow him to a place we don't yet know. 
Your faith may require you to leave what is familiar. Has anybody ever experienced that in your life? God's told you to do something and when you step out, you're going, this doesn't seem, (laughs) I haven't walked this path before. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm confident that God is guiding me in this. So isn't it interesting, Stephen begins his message by telling them, hey, from the beginning of our faith, one who you call the father of your faith as a Jew, we've been taught to go toward the unfamiliar. And then notice verse six, God spoke directly to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. So he reminded them that part of that promise that Abraham received was that God would multiply his people, but it wouldn't always be easy. The children of Israel would in fact go through slavery and we, because we have the scriptures, know that story. We know that it happened again and again and again. They would be enslaved. They would be exiled. They would go through great difficulty. And so maybe Stephen is helping them understand that faith by definition means trusting even when you don't see and you may not understand. Have you ever had to do that? Say, God, I don't see your plan. can't trace your hand. I, I don't understand, but I trust your heart. <laughs> Ralph Waldo Emerson has a great quote regarding this. He says, all that I have seen teaches me to trust the creator for all that I cannot see. Let me just say that again because it's so beautiful. All that I have seen teaches me to trust the creator for all that I cannot see. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. And then Stephen moves on to Joseph. You know the story of Joseph. His life began kind of as the pits. Well, it became the pits when he began to brag to his brother that he was the favorite. By the way, if you're a child in a multiple child family, that's not a good thing to do, to go to your brothers and sisters and say, hey, by the way, I'm the favorite. But that's what he did. You remember the story? He did that wearing a coat that his dad had made for him, demonstrating that he was the favorite. His brothers did not like that, nor did they like it when he said, by the way, I had a dream that one day you and mom and dad are going to bow down before me. So they threw him in a pit, and before they decided what to do, some wanted to kill him. They eventually sold him into slavery. You remember what happened next? He went and was sold to be a slave to a man named Potiphar, a leader in Egypt. And then Potiphar's wife got the hots for him. And when he, when he denied her, we're reminded hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And she accused him of rape. And it was just a mess. Look at verse 9. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him. He rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Why would Stephen remind them of this little tidbit? Maybe he wanted them to understand that difficult times can be expected in life, but God will never leave his children to face those times alone. 
<laughs> Have you ever walked through something and you said, oh, thank you, Jesus, that you are with me? I couldn't do it. I, 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 I'm rarely in a hospital room or at a deathbed of a committed follower of Christ where someone in the family doesn't say this, Pastor, I don't know how people do this without Jesus. I'm so thankful for the promise that's found in Hebrews 13, 5. It says, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And this is not a seminary class, but I would just take you back to the original Greek language where this literally says, I will never, and then it inserts, no, never, not ever, leave you nor forsake you. God in the New Testament wanted us to understand that the promise that he'd given to Joseph and others in the Old Testament was still applicable. That where we go, our God will go with us. And as we go, he's at work around us. Matter of fact, I love that principle of how to know and do the will of God, how to experience God's will. Taught to us by Henry Blackaby many years ago. If I want to know and experience the will of God, I look and see where God is at work and I just get in on it. Because God is always at work for your good and for his glory. And so the story of Joseph kind of ends that way, right? In Genesis chapter 50, in verse 20, Joseph looks at his brothers. We're not going to tell the whole story, but it says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive that are here today. Boy, can you think back to those times in your life where you walked through something and you couldn't see it at the time, but as you look back in the rearview mirror, You just say, God was working for my good and for his glory. That's what Romans 8, 28 teaches us. It doesn't say that all things in life are good. It doesn't say that God causes all things. But it says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And by the way, don't miss the end of that verse. It says, according to his purpose. As you're going to see in just a moment, the daily Proverbs remind us regularly that we make our plans, but it's his purposes that prevail. He governs our steps. And so we learn this truth about Joseph. I love the words of William Cowper. God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. His He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in the unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. So what happened next? There was famine in the land. That's what Joseph was referring to. God delivered his people. And then the Bible says, a king arose in Egypt who knew not Joseph. And another character comes on the scene. And Stephen's about to tell them about that character. Who is it? It's Moses. And Moses is another story about God's sovereign plan at work. And so uh, some of you are at different stages in life. And, and I love the story of Moses because no matter where you are, you can see that if you trust God, his hand will be in your life. So as a baby, Moses was put in the basket in the bulrush is the way I learned it as a little child on the flannel graph in church. And, and uh, God delivered Moses, his, his mother, in an effort to save his life, gave him up for adoption, really. Isn't that pretty cool? 
And so giving him up for adoption, he was adopted into the Pharaoh's home. And he was raised in the lap of luxury. And he spent the first 40 years of his life that way. Kind of what you would think is the prime of his life. But then he killed a man. <laughs> and so he ran to the wilderness where he spent the next 40 years. And really that became his main part of his life. You would think because he had a family, he got a wife and spent time in the wilderness as a shepherd. And then when he was 80, something happened. I asked the last service, how how many of you would raise your hand and say that you're 80 or above? And a lot of them lied, so I'm not going to ask you. (laughs) But listen to verse 30. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Hey, you do, why would Stephen include this? Remember, these are his last words, and he's given these tidbits of this thousands of year history of the Jewish people. Maybe he's wanting them to know that God can meet you anywhere, at any time, in any place, if you're willing to listen and obey. I'm thankful that we can come in a room, a beautiful room like this, and sometimes we've called this a sanctuary, our worship center, but, but the message of this passage is simply this truth. If God is there, there is a holy place. Wherever God is, is holy, and he can meet you anywhere. Now, now look at verse 35. In verse 35, it says, This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent both as a ruler and redeemer of the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt as the Red Sea in the wilderness for 40 years. Ah! One of my sons asked me just yesterday, Dad, you know, people lived a lot longer in, in the Bible. How did that work? And what were their bodies like? And I, I can only guess that the effect of sin, is what I've been taught, had not taken its toll on the way that it has on us today. And so lives were able to be lived longer. But what we know is that Moses finally was able to experience his prime after he was 80. What if that's God's will for you? What if some of you in retirement, God's saying your best days are ahead? I know this, God is a God of second chances. And if he gives you a second chance, you had better make the most of that opportunity. Uh, Some of you are looking at your past and the way you've blown it and the things you've done that are dishonoring to God and you've let that stump your toe and keep you from being all he wants you to be right now. Here's my challenge to you. Recognize that your best days can be ahead for the glory of God. Remember the tragedy that took place during that wilderness time? Last week, we remembered that Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, and when he came down, what was all over his face? The glory of God. They couldn't look at him, for the glory of God was on his face. But ironically, what were the people doing while Moses was with God? Look at verse 40. So they said to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. 
As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now, we don't know exactly how long he was up on top of the mountain, but it wasn't that long. How quickly we're eager to turn away from God. So they made a calf in those days and they offered a sacrifice to the idol and they were rejoicing at the work of their hands. And that's the path that it takes. When you turn your attention away from God, you'll always be tempted to put something or someone in His place. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement, but it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.